Welcome to the Sustainability Agenda podcast. My name is Fraggle Byrne. Every week I speak to leading figures from the world of sustainability and explore the sustainability agenda in marketing and strategy, technology, innovation, investment and finance. We look at the latest thinking, what's working and the future and evolution of the sustainability agenda. I'm very pleased today to welcome Scott Chu to the podcast. Scott is the founder and executive director of the Center for Energy Efficiency and Sustainability at Ingersoll Rand, a global diversified industrial company with over 50,000 employees and annual revenues of over $13 billion. Scott manages all the sustainability-related public transparency, advocacy, reporting, and goal-setting activities within the company. Well, thank you very much, Scott, for taking the time to speak to the sustainability agenda today. Thank you, Fergal. It's a pleasure to be with you. Great. So I'd be very interested to talk to you about the you know, uh, work you do at Ingersoll Rand, the Centre for Energy Efficiency and Sustainability. Um, maybe a good place to start is if you could talk a little bit about your role at the company and maybe just a little bit of data to an overview of the scope of Ingersoll Rand's operations. Yeah, I'd be happy to talk about it. So my role in the company is leading sustainability across the entire enterprise. Ingersoll Rand is a 140-plus-year-old company, uh, one of the longest-listed publicly listed companies uh, on the stock exchange. And our business uh, is global in nature and operates across several strategic brands, including uh, Train, which is the uh, one of the world's largest uh, HVAC and comfort-providing uh, businesses in the world, we also operate a company called Thermal King, which is uh, the world's largest transport refrigeration business. Uh, that's a business that uh, provides the cooling to keep fresh foods and perishables uh, safe during their transit. We also operate the legacy business Ingersoll Rand, which uh, the company's uh, history is um, goes back, as I mentioned, 140 years. And the, in the beginning, the Ingersoll Rand business was founded on uh, a patented that approach to um, changing how mining was done by patenting the rock drill at the time, later later jackhammer, and uh, these, were, these were tools really that heralded the Industrial Revolution. And then finally, our brand Club Car is uh, one of the world's largest electric vehicle companies. Uh, our, our cars are those off-road vehicles that you would find in airports, stadiums, retirement villages, and city streets. Right, great, great. So what does sustainability mean at Ingersoll Rand? And, and how, how, what's the, the beginning of the, the, the sustainability story for the company? I think it's a twofold, really, for us. For one was this um, a search for and a belief that sustainability could have bottom-line impacts, true value for the company. I think no matter the company, whether we talk, we're talking about Ingersoll Rand or any company, large or small, there's really only three things that sustainability uh, can provide to a company. One is it can help you reduce your risk profile as a company, meaning uh, making sure that you have the right selection of partners and suppliers, making sure that you uh, are walking the talk in terms of how you operate your business. Secondly, I think that it can improve uh, productivity and efficiencies uh, at, for a company. Uh, that's how you ensure that you're reducing your resource uh, use. And then thirdly, I think sustainability can be uh, a lens for new value, new opportunities for the company as you think about future portfolio. And so Ingersoll Rand about eight years ago decided that it would pursue uh, sustainability through those lenses and would find 
ways to, one, reduce our risk profile, two, we would look for ways to increase our productivity and efficiencies, and thirdly, we would look for ways to create new value. Right, that's interesting. Very often, that they seem to unfold across time, one after another, serially. So some companies might start off uh, more on the risk side and then progress to, as you talk about the productivity and so forth. What's been your journey and where would you say Ingersoll Rand is today? Yes, yeah, so our journey, I guess, is typical of many companies. We've moved from that compliance stage of how you, you make sure that you're complying with local and international regulations around environmental sustainability in particular, sometimes social sustainability. Um, we've moved beyond compliance uh, to an area that um, we're really happy about, and that's integrating sustainability into the strategy of the company and to our business operating system, which means that we're now at a place where we have a, a governance and a culture that has shifted to something very different than it was eight years ago. We have uh, introduced new products and services that did not exist uh, several years ago. We've uh, tapped sustainability across the entire value stream. Uh, many companies focus just on the manufacturing footprint, for instance, and our focus has been across the entire value stream from our suppliers and raw material selection all the way to what happens when, once we leave a, a service or a product with a customer. And then lastly, I think we have just really become more uh, focused on how do we actually uh, move sustainability to a purpose and passion area, uh, which means that you actually have to have traction at the grassroots with your employees, but you also have to have traction at the leadership level. And so I'm you know, very happy and proud to say that I think we have progressed in our journey from compliance all the way to that purpose and passion area. Great, great. Now, you talked about integrating sustainability. What does that actually mean? And can you give me a sense of what, what, what uh, maybe a decision looks like today or how you, you think about that where maybe five years ago it wasn't integrated in the same way? Oh, yeah, I can give several examples. I, I, I would say that uh, our approach to integration, the way we view it is if for long-standing, long-term value, a company really has to begin integrating sustainable principles into how you operate your business. If not, then I fear that you would really, sustainability and your progress resides on a personality or one person, and to keep that from happening, you have to begin integrating. And so we really looked across our the entire value stream and thought hard about how do we actually change for the long term. And our answer was we have to integrate it to the business operating system. An example would be we've actually developed a full-blown integrated module within our product design process, what we call a PDP. And that module, uh, it really is mandatory and forces our design engineers around the world who are designing future products and services, it forces them to uh, consider a host of uh, issues related to sustainability from uh, the amount of recycled content in future products um, the raw materials that were selected, uh, life cycle assessment implications and issues, and it actually, will, all of our future products uh, have to go through a life cycle assessment, for instance, but it's the design engineers now who carry out that work, so it's integrated as part of their design process, and uh, we get the feedback and we get the data for what happens and how that those assessments change the design of future products, and you know, I think the, the the proof is there. The proof is is that we now have, we already are offering products that 
I have shifted from previous designs and they've shifted, in fact, because of our integration of sustainability tools and this lens into the product development process. So that's one very solid example. Right, right. Now you talked about the uh, purpose and passion. Clearly, making changes of this scale is a, a corporate-wide affair and culture is tremendously important. Can you talk about uh, maybe the purpose and passion side of things, um, how that's unfolded and maybe some insights about that and, and some of the challenges and, and some of the you know, uh, outputs? Yeah, I can give a couple of things around purpose and passion. One is that uh, at the grassroots level, uh, we have an increasing number year over year of employees who are engaged in uh, volunteer local efforts that are meant to reduce our resource footprint uh, at a local level. They also are engaged uh, from a CSR standpoint with local communities on projects that align with our corporate strategy, such as energy reductions, um, uh, resource reductions overall. And uh, employees, uh, as I mentioned, their um, amount of energy that they expend on this increases year over year. The ideas and the creativity has increased. And the good news is that they're also willing to um, provide data around uh, the work that they're doing at a local level. We, we aggregate all of that data, things like uh, waste that we've diverted away from a landfill, energy that we've saved due to their local volunteer efforts, and when we aggregate those numbers, uh, it's a really impressive uh, at how much we're able to uh, accomplish just from a local, sort of local passion from our own employees at a grassroots level. At the other end of the spectrum, though, for what we see is that we have a CEO who actually committed to, and, and we were the first industrial company to have a CEO-level target that was aimed directly at greenhouse gas reductions across the enterprise. And Mike Lamott, who's the CEO of the company, agreed to this a couple of years ago. And, you know, Mike's uh, targets that he sets, of course, are cascaded to his own team members, who then cascade it to the businesses and beyond. And so, you know, if you really want to see traction happen in a company, you have to take it from both ends. And that's one of my learnings. And so it's not enough just to have dedicated employees, even though ours have done tremendous things. Um, you know, our people alone have... Uh, have volunteered some 19,000 hours in local communities. They have their work of our local teams have diverted two almost two and a half million pounds of waste has been diverted away from landfills, and they've saved just the local teams alone. Outside of our outside of our corporate strategy around energy reduction, the local teams of employees have reduced our energy about 48 billion BTUs. These are significant things, So, but it's not enough. You actually have to go to the other end, too. And so having a CEO who's willing to say that one of his handful of metrics is about reducing greenhouse gases across the enterprise certainly sets the tone from the top that we're committed and serious about our journey. That's great. That's great. Now, you mentioned one or two uh, figures there. What would you say, Scott, are a few of the key metrics that you would point to that would give some indication of the scale of the success of your sustainability initiatives? Well, I think one of our most significant commitments to date has been our climate commitment, which has three pieces. One is uh, associated with operations, which is typical for many companies. We have a 35% reduction a target for greenhouse gases of our own operations. In addition to the operations piece, though, we actually have a target related to our products, 
products use um, refrigerants to deliver the solution to customers, and we have a commitment that is a 50% reduction in the greenhouse gas refrigerant footprint of our products. This is significant. It's a differentiated commitment. It is one of the first of its kind for the industries that we compete in. And then on, on top of those two, we actually added a sort of a kicker to it, and that is we set aside 500 million U.S. dollars uh, as an investment pool for product-related research and development in areas where we, there currently are no solutions. And so we acknowledge that we're willing to do our part, and where we can't do our part, we'll put aside funding for research so that we develop new solutions. That's certainly a, a bold commitment, and uh, our CEO made that commitment a couple of years ago at the United Nations, and we continue to be very transparent on our website about our progress against it. So I would say, you know, we're very proud of that commitment, and it's a it's an umbrella for all of our other commitments, even though we have a set of 2020 targets that is comprehensive, as I've already mentioned, across the entire value stream. Our 2020 targets are focused on our supply base, on our operations, our customers, our people, and, of course, how we engage in local communities via citizenship. Great. That's great. Now, um, what about uh, the SDGs? I, I, I've read a little bit about this on, on the website, and I know that this, this is something that you're c- connecting into and using. Can you talk about, I mean, you talked about the 2020 there. Uh, wh- 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 how are you approaching the SDGs, and uh, how do they fit into the way you're looking at the future? Yeah, we think that the 17 SDGs are a very helpful framework uh, for a couple of reasons. One is they help companies like ours sort of compare where we're headed, compare what the targets we've set uh, against those 17 targets to find out, do our targets actually map or bridge over to the SDG? So in other words, it's sort of a litmus test. Are we headed in the right direction? And then secondly, it, it, uh, it's, the SDGs set a very high bar uh, around the big problems that deserve some solutions. And so it helps us to look internally around, are we doing our part in solving some of these big issues. And in fact, what we've done is we've mapped our 2020 targets to the SDGs, and what we found is that um, about eight or nine of the SDGs directly, uh, we are directly contributing solutions towards those SDGs. And those are things like uh, gender equality. We've made a global commitment around gender equality with our suppliers around the world. It's things like um, uh, quality education in sustainable cities and communities, and, of course, things like climate action, where we have one of the industry's uh, most bold climate commitments. There's a, also an SDG around uh, affordable and clean energy, and our efforts around efficiency and energy productivity certainly are attached to that S- SDG. So we do think the framework is very helpful. Great, great. And I, I'm keen to come on and talk a little bit about the Centre uh, for Energy Efficiency and Sustainability. I'm just wondering what has been the most challenging uh, aspect of this uh, journey. It's, it's a major commitment and the results you're talking about, setting standards in the industry and uh, continuing to drive forward. Uh, it sounds you know, like a win-win situation, uh, yet there are undoubtedly uh, a lot of competing priorities on, on the table for management. What have been some of the challenges, would you say, in getting in, in, on this journey? That's an interesting question because uh, part of your question is uh, part of my answer. Uh, the issue, I think, with my own team and myself and a company that's a global, diversified industrial company is the same that many people 
uh, in private sector uh, face, and that is there are just so many opportunities that it's hard to uh, narrow them down and make traction. And so what we we took a we took a page out of the financial team's uh, playbook around material issues, and we used the material assessment materiality assessment to identify our top issues, those areas where they're the biggest opportunities or they're the biggest concerns or risk, and that's where we would focus our efforts and our resources. And we did that several years ago, and that truly helped us focus. And one of the big ones for us was climate-related around greenhouse gas uh, emissions. One was around uh, energy efficiency, and there was another one around uh, resource efficiency and um, diversity. And so what we did as a company is we decided that our sustainability journey would, in fact, focus on those areas, not that all the other opportunities in the realm of sustainability are unimportant. We just had to choose and be very deliberate with the ones that we would work most on. And so the team has focused on those most material issues, and we've aligned our targets and we've aligned our work around that. Great, great. Uh, and final question there, uh, Scott, is how have investors responded to this? That's a good story that continues to improve our work um, our sustainability journey has uh, provided some external visibility around our commitments, and our commitments, as I mentioned, are attached to our business strategy. It's integrated with how we operate our business. And so that story has begun to be told because it's part of who we have become. And when you're telling your, your full story and you're being transparent about it, investors begin to listen and what they're hearing is that uh, we mean uh, that our, our journey is more than just PR and it's more than marketing. It's really about a fundamental shift in how we think about solving customer problems, which, mean that, which means really that we're finding new value. Investors like it when companies can say we're finding new value. And in fact, we are. And so uh, I'm very uh, proud that our long-term investment uh, holders, long-term uh, value uh, investors the mix has changed. We have uh, more of those long-term uh, uh, holders than we had in the past. Some of those funds uh, that are ESG-related funds, sustainability-related funds, we've increased the number of shareholders who are associated with ESG funds. And our ratings by financial rating agencies like MSCI, Dow Jones Sustainability, FTSE for Good, all of those ratings have increased and improved year over year for the last six years. And so I think that uh, investors and investment houses have noticed that as well. So we're really proud of where the journey is taking us. All right. Sounds, sounds very good, Scott. Now, tell me about the Center for Energy Efficiency and Sustainability. Well, the, the company uh, chose uh, eight years ago to uh, have um, a dedicated center of excellence uh, a group of individuals who would be dedicated to integrating sustainability. We, we called it the Center for Energy Efficiency and Sustainability, but it's really the sustainability team. It's just a, a collection of individual internal experts who help us uh, engage employees in meaningful ways that lead to behavior change, who help us advocate for the right things around climate and energy externally. 
and who also makes sure that the company's story and thought leadership is as robust as it can be. And so that's the team uh, manages all those facets for the company around the world. Right, right. And do you, uh, is this uh, up in part also, is there a CSR uh, perspective as well? Is there a corporate philanthropy perspective? We talked uh, a good deal about the, you know, the underlying business case. Um, w- what about those other elements? Yeah, so um, we do have a CSR and philanthropy um, perspective that's integrated uh, in the company, and that all of that work is also attached to our 2020 targets as well as to the company's business strategies. So it's all integrated and all linked together uh, via the center as well as our the Ingersoll Rand Foundation and our CSR team. Right. What What is the Ingersoll Rand Foundation? The Ingersoll Rand Foundation is one arm of our philanthropy and CSR strategy where we or provide funding to organizations that align with the company's strategy around uh, nutrition education, uh, housing and habitat, uh, energy efficiency, um, and uh, advocacy in those areas as well. So, you know, it's, it's all linked underneath the umbrella of sustainability because, as you recognize, Fergal, there's a business lens for sustainability, there's a social lens, and there's an environmental lens. And what the company is attempting to do and what we've been able to do is to make sure that we're integrating our sustainability across all three of those areas. Yes, absolutely. Great. Now, I'd like to talk about cities of the future, but just before you mentioned that we that we, we talked about the term, the business case, what, presumably you still get asked that. Not uh, There are investors out there who, 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 are, who are asking that question. So what is the business case for sustainability at Ingersoll Rand? Yeah, I mentioned it earlier in the conversation. I'll just repeat a piece of that is, uh, we, we view sustainability as a, as, a, as a lens that, not only as a lens, but as a lever, really a tool for bottom line impacts in three areas. One, productivity and efficiency gains. One is a way for us to reduce our risk profile. And thirdly, and the most exciting area, is about value and opportunities that, uh, that are on the horizon that we are developing solutions for that currently do not exist. Right. And do you have any measures for that? Is there some sense of goal for, you know, percentage of product services that have that dimension, a sustainability dimension? Is that something you think about? Yeah, it is something we think about. We actually have a portfolio called uh, EcoWise, which is a portfolio, a discrete portfolio of products that meet a very high level uh, criteria that is third party verified. These products are the best available for their product category around the world. And of course, we manage we manage that portfolio uh, within the company. We we recognize that that portfolio grows in different ways than our existing portfolio. But but more than that, though, I think the best way to use sustainability is as a lens to figure out how to how does any product category, and not just some special portfolio, but how do you use sustainability to improve across the board? Sometimes the best improvements are. You change a supplier, for instance, or you shift to your raw material selection. And although that may seem uh, boring or mundane, it it is the way that long-term value and new um, impact can happen that's uh, sustained over time. And isn't that that sort of the definition of sustainability is something that ensures its actions that ensure that we sustain things over time? 
Absolutely. And you mentioned suppliers, and that's uh, very interesting. It's something that interests me that the, 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 uh, the scale, the, the possibility for large corporates to have uh, a huge leverage on all kinds of organizations that are in their supply chain, particularly SMEs. Can you talk a little bit about that, the, the scale of your supply chain and, and how the sustainability initiatives have been taken up or, or, or the kind of impact that you're seeing? you know, a host of things like many large companies have. I think our work in supply chain related to sustainability is uh, several, it, it takes on several um, elements. One is, is that we, we're making sure that we have the best supplier, preferred suppliers around the world, those that we view as true partners who can deliver, and they're really aligned with our company's values and our journey where we're headed. Uh, we, we spend about we spend almost nine billion dollars a year directly and indirectly on commodities, and you know one of our targets, for instance, for 2017 is that um, our move is towards preferred suppliers, those that most align with our own values as a company, and many of which I've talked about already. So, you know, the, our work there is to make sure that we're funding partners who are very much like us. That are we're trying to move away from those who may not share the values that we share in terms of the long term. Right. And is that a small number or are you finding that's quite a large number? Uh, well, our target for 2017 is 45% of our uh, direct spend will be with preferred suppliers. And we plan to increase that number every year until we get there. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, great. Now, talk a little bit about cities of the future. I know we haven't got very much time, Scott, but can you talk about that? Why why does it matter? Where does energy resiliency fit in here? Yeah, well, cities are growing. I mean, urban residents accounted for 54% of the total global population uh, a year or so ago, and that's just getting larger and larger. As you know, cities are growing. They're becoming more complicated. They're becoming more populated. And with that comes lots of complications. And so... Resiliency is a theme, it's a big word, but what it really means is are we designing our cities with the long term in, uh, with the long term demands, uh, in focus? And so I think the smartest cities are cities that are stepping back, they're figuring out what it will take to actually meet the demands of a growing population over time. And that means they have to be really smart about how resources are used, how transport is designed, and how people will be prepared or how you prepare the city for uh, extremes, such as weather extremes. Right. And, and what's Ingersoll's Rand's work here? Yeah, I think it's a couple of pieces. I mean, we obviously cities are important to our business model because we provide comfort systems for cities. So making sure people stay comfortable in both residential and commercial uh, buildings. We also are a big piece of the transport uh a solution from our electric vehicles to our transport refrigeration units that provide uh, fresh food and perishables to cities. So we're deeply involved, but what we're, what we're seeing is that the solutions of the future are going to be interconnected. I think IoT is a probably already overused uh, phrase and people quite still don't quite understand it, but what it really means is that as the more we connect all these technologies and solutions together, uh, the more information we have and the better we will be prepared to manage cities of the future. And so we shouldn't really fear all these connections. We really should embrace this interconnectivity because the more data we have, the more we know how
how to manage the uh, hot spots, the opportunities for efficiency gains, as well as the comfort of the people that live there. Uh, you know, we have, we have a lot of um, work that we're doing around buildings and thinking differently about the entire chain of energy and how energy is provided to a city from the supply side to the demand side. And there are some interesting things happening there with things like, can we actually link together enough buildings that they provide uh, and share energy loads so that we do not need to build new uh, uh, and, and increase the capacity on the supply side? You know, can buildings speak to each other in a way that they can uh, make themselves uh, use less energy and or use it differently? So we're all involved in those innovations in connecting those technologies to solutions of the future. Great, great. Now, sorry, I was just going to ask you one last question, but I'm picking up. Are you, were you moving there or has the phone changed or something? I was picking up quite a no, bit of stuff. changed, but I could feedback yes yes don't worry well it, it sometimes happens after uh, on the line for a little bit um okay um so i guess um I, 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 if, if you have time for two questions i'm going to ask you to look forward in sustainability journey but maybe i'll ask you also about how you think co- corporates in america are doing and i'll put that somewhere earlier in the in the, the conversation but because uh, i think it's an interesting question um now uh, um at, at the heart of what you're saying there scott is this question uh, i guess of delivering value and helping your clients uh in many cases other companies other large companies too how do you think sustainability uh is is unfolding in america how are corporates doing there's been uh, some significant you know regulatory focus in the last few years which may or may not continue uh, unlikely to continue the same pace over the coming years, to what extent do you think uh, leading companies are have embraced this and see the business case for it? Here's what I would say to that, first of all. I think it's a great question, and I've thought a lot about this. And what I've, My sense is that uh, for those companies and market segments that have seen value from their sustainability journey, there's no stopping them. It's not about regulations. It's not about compliance. They won't wait around on policies either because when a company, a friend, the private sector begins to see value, whether the value is about uh, saving money via efficiencies or whether it's about uh, finding new markets because they can sell services and solutions differently than in the past, when real value happens, you won't stop it. And that's what I've seen. And I think the smartest companies are not waiting around on policies or regulatory schemes. They're really going to continue to pursue real value no matter um, no matter who's in charge of vis-a-vis uh, elected officials. Great, great. Now, that's an optimistic, uh, good to hear, uh, Scott. Now, can you tell me what's next on Ingersoll Rand's sustainability journey and, and maybe your aspirations over the next three to five years? I think the next three to five years for Ingersoll Rand, like many companies, will be focused on how do we continue the, the momentum that has already begun around reducing uh, the footprint related to resource uh, use. I think we will set that up even more. I mean, part of our work is going to be how do we become a, a potentially a net zero company, a zero net energy consumer, if that's even possible. I'd love to see us move that direction. I'd also like to see us think about um, new work-life balances, a flexible, diverse workforce. These issues are important to us on the social side. And then, you know, lastly, I would say things like carbon, where carbon is headed around the world. Uh, if, in fact, we can look at solutions that would reduce the carbon impact, climate impact of, um, of solutions, 
then those are all things that I think our customers would care about, investors care about, our employees are excited to work on, and as a company, I'd like to see us be a, be a leader and show others how it can happen. Well, I wish you the very best of success with the, that vision, Scott. And thank you so much for taking the time to share Ingersoll Rand's sustainability journey, your insights and experience. Uh, it's been a great conversation. Thank you very much. Thank you. For, have a good day. Thank you for listening to the Sustainability Agenda podcast. I hope you found it interesting. Please sign up at the sustainabilityagenda.com website or on iTunes to make sure you don't miss any future episodes.